Let's go ahead and gather together. Turn to Ephesians chapter 3. Ephesians chapter 3. Anybody need the notes? Go ahead and raise your hand up high. We'll get them right to you. There you go. A couple of hands over there. Just keep the hands up high, and I'm going to go ahead and pray. And Father, we come to you in the name of the Lord Jesus, and Lord, we ask you for living understanding of this glorious revelation from your heart that you gave your servant Paul. We ask that you would teach us, Holy Spirit. Let us see some of the things that Paul saw, some of the things that you intended when you inspired this prayer to him. We thank you in Jesus' name, amen. Well, here we are, session two in the apostolic prayers, the prayers that shift history. We're looking mostly in this session at Ephesians 3, verse 14 to 19, and a little bit to the short prayer in Ephesians 6, because actually it flows right out of Ephesians 3. Paragraph A, Ephesians 3, verse 14 to 19 is a prayer to experience more of the presence of God. Now, that's obviously what we all want. But it also is a prayer that gives us insight into how Paul approached discipling younger believers. So I, I look at this as a, as a pattern prayer to pray for, my, for me to experience the presence of God, but I pray for my friends and family to experience the presence of God. But as a shepherd, I also see... Paul's theology in bringing transformation to younger believers. I look at this passage, I refer to it as a diamond with many facets of truth. It will equip us to love God, but also to relate to other people. Because we see ourselves and we see them through the lens of God's heart and God's love. And that's a Normal idea, but it's a very profound one, even though it's an idea that we're all familiar with. <clears throat> now I want you to notice as we read the prayer, I want you to notice the word that, T-H-A-T. It's mentioned four times. And Paul says, I pray that this happens so that that happens, so that that happens, so that that happens. There's a very distinct and clear progression in Paul's mind. And if you notice it, then it will even equip you as a shepherd and a disciple of other people. These are the four progression points that the Spirit showed Paul. He prayed according to this, but also he taught and pastored people according to this fourfold progression. Let's look at verse 14. Paul said, I bow my knees to the Father, from whom the whole family is named. Now, it's interesting, this prayer has a very specific family dimension to it, a relational family dimension. He's not strategically, intentionally, he's not saying, I bow my knees to the king who has authority over all the nations. Now, he could pray that way at another time, but he's saying this is a family matter here. This is, there's family dynamics. This is relational. He goes, here's my prayer, verse 16. I pray that, here's the first one, that the Father would grant them to be strengthened with divine might inside of them, in their inner man. That's their mind and emotions. So he starts there. Strengthen them with divine might in their inner man, touch their mind, touch their emotions, stir their mind and emotion. So I pray this for myself. Strengthen me in my inner man. Holy Spirit, release more of your inspiration to my inner man, my mind and my emotions. And I pray that for friends and family members. He says, well, that doesn't end there. So that Christ would dwell in your hearts. Christ would dwell in the hearts so that 
you'd be rooted and grounded in love and therefore able to comprehend the family dynamics. You could comprehend with all the saints this fourfold dimension of God's love, the width, the length, the depth, and the height that you could experience, you could know, know by experience the love of Christ that passes knowledge so that, here's the fourth one, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. So paragraph B, I mentioned what I just said. There's four stages of growth. I'm gonna give you the overview here in the next couple paragraphs in the notes so that when we read through the verse or look at it verse by verse, you can follow this fourfold progression. You can say, oh yeah, I'm watching it unfold. I, I know where it's going. I know where this thing's headed so I can comprehend it while I'm praying through this prayer and reading it. And I'm gonna repeat this a number of times because I really want you to get it. Stage one, Paul is praying for them to be strengthened in their inner man. Now, the, this, the practical application, you're praying this for yourself, to be strengthened in your inner man. You're praying this for the people that you're interceding for. The inner man involves, includes the mind and the emotions, the thinking and the feelings. Why do we need God to strengthen our mind and emotions? So we can sustain a resolute desire to obey him. I mean, we want to obey him today, but tomorrow we don't want to obey him so much. <laughs> because that inspiration, it's, it, it's, it's, it's a temporary inspiration. Jesus said, pray all the Father will give you this day your daily bread. And I, I always like to say, Lord, give me monthly bread, okay? <laughs> Better yet, yearly bread, I, I, you know, Bread is, is that provision for the heart. That daily bread is direction, finances, provision. It's all that stuff. I like the monthly and yearly installments. He gives them daily. He says, come back and ask again. I go, oh. I asked yesterday. He goes, yeah, and I, I gave you a, a little inspiration yesterday. Come back again today. That was actually intentionally communicated by God when the children of Israel were in the wilderness. He gave them manna every day. And tomorrow, yesterday's manna was spoiled today. The Lord was making a very important point. Jesus said, I'm the manna from heaven. He said in John 6, you need daily interaction with me because yesterday's inspiration, it's, I mean, it was real, but it doesn't hold you steady today. So we pray. This is a, a, a regular prayer. Matter of fact, I have a little prayer booklet called Prayers to Strengthen the Inner Man, where I have 10 different prayers using the acronym fellowship. You know, F for the fear of God, E for endurance, L for love. I give 10 biblical prayers that you pray for your own inner man. But the point I want to make is our part is to pray this prayer for ourselves or pray for others, but it's something we do daily. It's like, again, like, Lord, give me enough inspiration where I can talk to you next month on Tuesday, the same time next month, and I will do it again. It's like eating a meal. The meal you ate on Monday was helpful in the overall, but it's not helping you that much today. He wants it that way. It takes God to love God, and we gotta talk to God regularly to have regular inspiration. He does it on purpose because he's a God of relationship. He wants us communicating with him. I mean, he could just wave his hand and we have inspiration for life. The second stage, and this confuses some people, is that Paul said, so that... Christ would dwell in your heart. People said, wait, I thought the day I was born again, I invited Christ into my heart. And that language is good. It's not, it's not 
there's more in the Bible to Christ dwelling in your heart than the day you're born again. What Paul's talking about, the manifest presence of God, you're feeling it in your mind and emotions. You're your mind is touched by, you're actually, you're praying it stage one, you're feeling it in stage two. He's manifesting his, pre Jesus is manifesting himself in your heart. That's his active presence. And he connects that idea with being rooted and grounded in love. When he's manifesting his presence in my heart, my mind is much more clear and my emotions are tenderized. That's the same as being rooted and grounded in love. I'm seeing it. I'm feeling it. It makes sense. I don't mean feeling it at the level that's, you know, I don't want to exaggerate it, but it's, it makes a difference. He's manifesting himself in our heart. In my early days of praying this, I thought, so that Christ would dwell in my heart, I thought he did. Am I praying to get born, to be born again? That's kind of weird at stage two. I thought I already was born again. And I didn't understand he meant actual manifestation of the presence on my heart. A lot of people say, I need to feel him. I said, good, start stage one. Start praying to be strengthened with might in the inner man. And in time, it's a little bit, it's incremental, but it's real. You'll start feeling his manifest presence in your thinking, what does that mean to feel his presence in your thinking? That means godly ideas make more sense. And when that inspiration's gone, those godly ideas are foggy and like, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Living for eternity, I was really into that a few months ago. Uh, it's kind of lifted. That's the presence of God touching our hearts. Again, our mind and emotions. Well, the next stage... When I'm feeling a little bit, I don't want to exaggerate this because a little bit, this really matters. Then I have a new capacity to comprehend how God sees and thinks about others. When I'm not weighed down with my own dullness and darkness and dark emotions and condemnations and rejection and bewilderment, I, it kind of frees up our emotional bandwidth so we can like see, so, wow, I see you. Not just I see you, I see you through the lens of God's heart a little bit. Wow, life is much better this way. Because if I don't see you through the lens of God's love, then your deficiencies or whatever you do, you might bug me more than I want to be bugged or vice versa. Vice versa is be the, never mind. But when we have this greater capacity to comprehend, we go, wow, you know what? You have flaws and deficiencies, but there's a big storyline about your life. I don't see it all, but this is worth it to me. This, this makes sense to engage with you, to see your value. Life is so different when we can see people a little bit through the lens of God's heart. Because if we don't, we live in comparison Anger, fear, frustration, annoyance, constantly annoying. Like, why are they doing that? And, and the most of the human race, they don't really walk in stage three, even a little bit. I mean, even believers. And the reason they don't get to stage three, because they don't do stage one. They don't actually pray for strength in their inner man. And it's, don't make these stages compartmentalized, like, well, I'm in stage two, eventually stage three. It's all a little bit fluid. Like I'm, I touch all four of them and lose all four of them as I'm moving forward. So making them like uh, compartmentalized stages, you do fully stage one before stage two is not the right idea. But I know that if I focus on stage one, stage two starts growing, stage three gets more clear, and, and I, I'm moving in all of them. I'm wanting to grow in all of them regularly. But I understand a little bit what's happening. And as a shepherd, I know what I'm aiming for when I'm teaching you or praying for you or wanting to be a blessing to you. I, I know these four things is the, you know, uh, overlapping progression. It's not super distinct, but one does lead to the other. At least Paul thought so. He said this, so that, so that that, so that that. Stage four, 
We're equipped to walk in the fullness of God. And you might go, whoa, the fullness of God. And the way you interpret that, the fullness of God's purpose for this season in your life. Because every season, God has a purpose, an assignment, and, you know, we only go so far, but the Lord says, no, I gave you all that I made available to you, you're walking in, or that's what you're aiming for, and later on, there'll be a bigger measure. Later on, there'll be a bigger measure. So we can walk in the fullness of what he intends for us even now. That's not just something in the resurrection, because even then, that fullness will get bigger and bigger and bigger. Okay, let's go back to, let's go to Roman numeral two. We're gonna work through it a little bit, but just so you're aware of what I'm doing, I'm gonna repeat this over and over. Because if you really get this to where you don't have to look at notes to figure it out, but you go, no, I got it. That, that's okay. It's more likely that you'll pray it with understanding. It's more likely you'll talk to people with this in your mind when you're talking to them. Most people, they go straight to stage two. How come I can't feel more? And I go, that's legitimate. I did that lots of times in my early years. And Paul says, because you skipped stage one, that's why. Do stage one and stage two will happen. Again, it's not compartmentalized. It does overlap. But there is a sequence, a progression. There really is. Let's go back and look at it again. Paragraph A, let's read the verse. This is the first one. That God would grant you, Paul's praying to the Father of the whole family, he would grant to strengthen you with divine might through the Spirit. Now, the Spirit lives in your spirit the day you're born again. You're born again, the indwelling Spirit lives in your spirit, but that's not the same thing as the indwelling Spirit affecting your mind and emotions. You can have God living in your spirit, your born-again spirit, but your mind is not renewed yet, and your emotions are following your mind. So the Holy Spirit on the inside says, I want to inspire your soul, your mind and emotions, your inner man. So Paul's praying, Father, let the indwelling spirit inspire their mind and emotions. Or the spirit coming on us. I mean, rising up in us or coming on us, I'll take both. Because some people debated. I said, take both of them. Paragraph B. Now, I want you to uh, connect this prayer with what Jesus said in John 15. Jesus gave the famous abide in me statement. Everybody knows it. Abide in me and I'll abide in you. But it's easy to miss what Jesus is saying. He goes, I'm the vine, I'm the source. You're the branches, you're the expression. I'm the source of the supernatural life. I dwell in your spirit. I am the source of supernatural life that inspires you. If you don't talk to me, that inspiration's not gonna rise up nearly at the level as it will if you do talk to me. But I'm the source. Don't think you can be the expression if you're, if you're not talking to the source. It won't happen. A little bit, because the Lord's so gracious. But he says two things. And these two things are very different from one another. But they're easily misconstrued as the same thing. He goes, abide in me, and then I'll abide in you. I thought you already were abiding in me. Huh. What do you mean? There's a progression here. He's saying the same thing Paul's saying, stage one and stage two. Paul's actually paralleling this concept. What I'm saying is there's transforming union with God has two elements to it. Stage one and stage two, if I'm using Ephesians 3 prayer. Instead of saying, I'm going to strengthen you in your inner man, if you pray, if you talk to me about it, ask me to strengthen you, and then my manifest presence, stage two, will touch your inner man. Jesus said, abide in me, and my manifest presence will abide on your mind and emotion. You'll feel my presence, and your mind will be inspired. I'll abide, I'll manifest myself inside of your soul, your inner man. 
Now the phrase, abide in me, is kind of mysterious. I remember my early days, my late teens, I was trying to read books on abide in Christ, Andrew Murray, and uh, you know, early 20s. I couldn't figure out, like, abide, like, hooked on the vine, like, I can't, you know, and I would hear preachers say, by faith you are abiding. I go, what, what do you mean? What do I do, though? Oh, just, just be, like, that's not working, actually. <laughs> then it just became just so clear. Abide in me. This isn't entirely what it means, but this is the foundational point. Talk to me. Talk to me and I'll talk to you. That's actually what he's saying. It's a little bit more than that, but that's the foundational point. I went, oh, I could do that. That's Ephesians 3. Pray that I will strengthen you. Talk to me. And Ephesians 3, stage 2, I'll manifest my presence to you. I'll abide in you. I'll move on your mind and emotions. It's very practical. Then you'll bear fruit. Fruit is internal character and external ministry. It's both things. Fruit of the Bible is used both ways. Internal character. I mean, we can do behavior modification by, and I appreciate that actually, by just kind of working hard, but we can't change our emotions. We can't desire righteousness by gritting our teeth. The only way you're going to desire righteousness is if the Spirit inspires you a little bit. And so we can't bear fruit. I can't really love righteousness if the Spirit doesn't help me a little bit. I can choose righteousness, but I can like, oh, what a drag, you know. I'm doing this because I'm afraid I'm going to get in trouble if I don't. The Lord says, you know, that's a good start, but that's not the end of the story. I actually will give you new desires. You'll bear fruit on the inside. You'll feel different. You'll, you'll see different. But you got to talk to me. Then I, little by little, I'll talk back to you. Or using Paul's phrase, I'll manifest my presence on your mind and emotions, on your inner man. And you're, you'll bear fruit. You'll, you'll start loving what you used to hate and a little bit start hating what you used to love. It's, a, it's progressive. It's step by step. Every now and then there's a big giant breakthrough, but mostly it's incremental. It's just little by little, but stay with it. Well, this idea, which I'm going to get to in a minute, the second thing is that, I mean, the first thing is we abide in him. We talk to him. I'll look at that in a minute too. But I want you to get it. He says, I'll abide in you. Paragraph C. When he abides in us, because again, this confused me in my early days. I go, I thought you already did. Well, <clears throat> at the new birth, <clears throat> excuse me, when Jesus came to live inside of us at the new birth, he does abide in us in that sense, but that's not the sense he's talking about. He's talking about here his manifest presence touching our mind and emotion. He's talking about the second way he abides in us. Now, I might have lost you because I said we abide in him, and then he abides in us, and then he abides in us. There's two parts. The day we're born again, and then that progressive way. Just month, you know, day by day, little by little, he abides in our soul, our inner man, little by little, more by, you know, just a little bit at a time. He's renewing our mind where peace is growing in us a little bit. <clears throat> Let's go to page two. <clears throat> well, I'm going to use the terminology of Jesus. He says, abide in me. Paul said it different. He says, I'm praying that you'd be strengthened with the Spirit. Those are almost identical concepts. Well, if I'm abiding in him, I've already said this, abiding in Christ, that's the part we do. Him abiding in us, I don't mean the new birth when he initially lives in us, but him resting on our mind and emotions, that's the part he does. We can't make him do that. We can position ourselves to get more of it, but we have an active part at stage one. We talk to it. We abide in him or we pray for strength in the inner man. That's the part we do, but we do it a lot. Just like people typically eat daily. I mean, okay, you got the fast day. I understand. But it's the, the pattern of 
breathing regularly and eating regularly, that's the asking for strength. He says, I want you in the conversation and it will touch your mind and emotions in a little bit of time if you stay with it. But a lot of folks get this idea that the presence will just rest on their heart kind of no matter what they do when they're on the run. And we do get a lot to do in our lives. I'm not saying we don't have a lot. It's not like you stop every minute and talk to him or have a prayer meeting for 28 hours a day. It's not that kind of thing. But it, we have to be intentional to do our part, abide in him. I have, uh, there's three things, a part of ab- abiding in him. Three elements. The big one is talking to him, but the other two flow right out of it. Talking is the core activity of abiding in Christ. Talk to me. It starts here, but includes more. Paragraph one. Now, talking to Jesus, I'm just talking about praying. I'm talking about praying, strengthen me with your spirit in my inner man. That's really what we're talking about here, using Paul's language of chapter three, verse 16. The Christian life is an ongoing dialogue with a real person. There's a real person you're talking to. He has much to say. But here's the challenge. He allows us to set the pace of the conversation. He goes, you talk, I'll stay with him as long as you want. You end the conversation, usually I'll end it. I have found out over the years, as long as I talk to him, he'll talk back. I don't mean I hear something. I don't mean like if I am talking to him at 10 o'clock in the morning, at 10.01, I get an answer. No, I'm saying if I'm dialoguing with him throughout the day, then over time, not necessarily that day, I get more back from him. If I talk to him, he talks to me. And I'm talking about he inspires me in just little incremental ways. If we stop talking to him, I don't mean we stop at 10.05, and so now at 10 minutes after 10, we're in trouble. I'm saying if we go for some weeks and months, and we say, ah, yeah, I'm just too busy. Yeah, I mean to do that, but I just get busy, and I'm gonna do this instead of that. And then he says, okay, I'll, I'm here. I'll stop when you stop, except for there's those times when he brings up the conversation. Typically, that's not good. <laughs> My beloved son, you haven't been talking to me. I have something to tell you. <laughs> Uh, is it like a promise of glory? Well, not yet. I got to tell, I have things to tell you, but I'm gonna tell you something else right now. Abiding in Christ, I'm in the end of verse of paragraph one. It involves, I want you to catch this, an ongoing, I don't mean it never breaks, that's exaggerated, but little 10 and 20 second exchanges. I mean, even when you're, in the prayer room, you don't, you don't have to be in the prayer room to do this, but like I'll have my laptop open, my Bible there, and I'm reading. I like to read my Bible and write in journal. I like to say things back to God and write little phrases, even though they're simple little phrases. I love to do that. And I might talk to him and then read a couple verses and then talk to him, little 20 and 30 second, 10 second little installments of the conversation. You know, you're walking from one room to the next. You got a meeting with somebody and I'm just kind of whispering just a little bit, not every time, but throughout the day, 10 and 20 second little installments. That is abiding in Christ. That's, that's core abiding in Christ. I mean, it's core to it. If you do that, many other things will fall into line. Well, I found that if I don't, I have here at the end of paragraph one, if I don't have some extended times where I do that, I mean, an hour or two, or I don't mean 10 hours, but if I don't do it extended times a bit, then I lose, I lose the 20 and 10 and 20 second little installments. When I go days, hopefully that doesn't happen, but if I go days with none of those 10 or 20 second little ones, it's because I haven't been sitting and having longer times. If you go longer times with the Lord, those 20 second little conversation things will revive again. I've seen it over the years. It, uh, it kind of evaporates, and then it kind of, well, that's not the right word. It diminishes and then returns according to, if I'll have some concentrated time, then the little conversations revive again, and that's abiding in Christ. Another part of abiding in Christ, talking to him, it's stage one still, is we apply his promises. 
Applying his promises, and I'll let you read this on your own, but it's a form of talking with God. Like shame, rejection, condemnation, hits my heart. I feel rotten, rotten. The Lord says, talk to me. (laughs) Agree with me. Say what I say about you. That's a form of this same thing, talking to God. I say what God says over my heart. I confess the truth. I I confess it to him. I speak it to him. So applying his promises, speaking his word, is a form of talking to him. It's still this stage one. Number three, obeying his leadership. Jesus said, if you love me, you keep my commandments. So he puts loving him in context to the heart to obey him. No one obeys him perfectly in the full sense in our weak humanity. But obedience is is an expression of loving him. And so I like to say the the sincere intention to obey. Because if you just say obey and leave it, younger believers go, oh, I'm a loser then, forget it. That's never gonna happen. I go, no, you can set your heart and reset your heart and reset your heart and you're in the spirit of obeying him. Yeah, you want to get the breakthrough, but the sincere setting really does matter. The enemy will whisper in your heart and say, no, you're a hopeless hypocrite. Just give up and give in. Now, when we obey him, well, it's, this is a significant part of talking to him. You say, well, how does that work? Because you're talking to him with a truthful spirit, with the spirit of truth. You're talking to him with a sincere desire to walk out what you're talking about. If I go to the Lord and say, oh, Lord, I love you, I want to obey you, and I don't really want to obey him, then it's just empty talk. But it's still effect, it's still the realm of talking to him. He wants us talking with a truthful spirit when we talk to him. Meaning, I really want to do this. I fail, but I want to sign back up. I encourage people, I said, don't, don't measure your failures just set your heart to sign back up regularly. If you keep signing up, you're going to get the breakthrough, I promise you. It may take a little longer than you think, but the breakthrough in your mind and emotion will come if you keep signing up. Again, because if I don't say that, people will think, oh, dang, and they just sink and go, well, I'm like, you know, 0 for 10 right now on that one. <laughs> I said, no, just keep signing up. You'll get out of that ditch. You really will. Just stay with it. Don't give up. Okay, let's look at Roman number three. Now we're going to stage two again. Stage one is talk to him. Talk to him regularly. Talk to him about his promises instead of just letting the enemy run the narrative of your mind and talk to him with the spirit of truth with an intention to obey. Now we're going to stage two. I've already said it three, four times, but I'm just gonna say it again. Because remember, one of my main gifts is repetition. (laughs) Well, let's read it. Let's get the flow of it again. He starts off that, Well, he says, pray that you be strengthened with might in the inner man so that Christ would dwell in your heart. That's that, again, manifest presence on your heart, which is your mind and emotions. It's it's both. Hebrews 10, 16, I don't have it in these notes, but God says the new covenant, the essence of the new covenant, Hebrews 10, 16, is that with my finger, like I wrote on the tablets with Moses, the Ten Commandments, Remember when Moses went up the mountain in the book of Exodus and God with his finger wrote in, you know, he says, with the same finger that I wrote in that, I'm gonna write on your heart. But I'm gonna write on your mind too. So I'm gonna inspire your thinking and I'm going to, I'm gonna help you renew your mind. I'm gonna, I'm gonna give you inspired thoughts. I'm gonna cause the dullness, the, the fog to lift. But I'm gonna also empower your emotions. I'm going to write with my finger of fire. It won't be dramatic, mostly. It'll be incremental. But I'm writing on your mind and I'm writing on on your heart. That's the essence of the new covenant. That's him abiding in our soul, abiding in our hearts. Oh, that he would, or what Jesus called it, I'm abiding in you. Paul called it, God's, Christ is dwelling in our hearts. It's the same, it's a total same concept. 
I just want you to put the two together so you're not comparing them going, well, which one is right? You know, Jesus said he'll abide in you. Paul says Christ will manifest himself in your heart. Same parallel, parallel truth, same thing. Paul says, let me say it a different way. He's saying the same truth two ways. He goes, you'll be rooted and grounded in the love of God. Rooted is an agricultural term. There's roots when the storm of lies or the storm of pressure, the storm of temptation, the storm of despair blows. The tree doesn't blow over. It's rooted. Grounded is an architectural term. The building of God has a sure foundation. He goes, you got roots and you got sure foundation. Agricultural, architectural. I don't have that written in there, but that's what Paul is referring to because he just finished speaking in chapter two about you are the temple. You're the building of God. And so he's using the word grounded here, a sure foundation. In other words, with a sure foundation, when the storm blows, the house doesn't fall over. With rooting, when the storm blows, the tree doesn't pull over. He's saying the same thing twice. I'm sure there's a little nuance difference that, you know, that would excite us to break it down in a further way. But when you do that, what will happen? You'll have the ability to comprehend when you do that. When you get rooted, you get the ability to comprehend. Let's go to paragraph C. Christ's manifest presence, same thing I've been saying. He inspires our mind and emotions. That's that Hebrews 10, 16 verse I use. He writes on the mind. I tell you, when he writes on your mind, your mind is illumined. A little bit. But it's like, wow. When he doesn't write on your mind, you can study all day long, and that passage is like, it's bouncing off. I've read so many Bibles so many times that it bounces off. I go, Lord, I need you to write this. Just give me a spark of insight. Well, do stage one and you'll, do st- you'll get stage to Stay with it. Keep talking to me and I will. Well, Jesus says it again in John 14. This is right before John 15, abide in me. This is just a moment or two before he said, abide in me in John 15. He says the same thing, but a different language. I just want you to put the two terms together, the two ideas together. I mean, the two passages together, he's saying the same thing. In John 14, he goes, if you have my commandments and keeps them, you love me, and I'll love him. Here it is. I'll manifest myself. If you walk in a spirit of obedience, I'll manifest myself in your heart. Your mind and emotions will be inspired more and more. Then he goes on in verse 23 and says it again. If you love me, you obey me. If you talk to me with a spirit of truthfulness, a spirit of obedience, there's a truthful spirit when you're talking to me. You're, you're, you're not, it's not empty speech. It's not double talk. You mean what you say when you talk to me, even though your ability to walk it out perfectly is deficient, but you mean it. Look at it here. He says, we'll make our home with you. We'll rest on your soul. Man, this... I don't know how it gets better than him manifesting himself, verse 21, or making his home on our hearts. Same thing. Go a few verses later, it's abide in me, but it's the second one, and I'll abide in you. I'll make my home on your heart. You'll feel my presence and have a spark of understanding in your brain. Again, it's just a little bit, but a little bit of this goes a long way. And I I appreciate this because... I started my early years with none of it. I had Christ living in my spirit, but my soul, like, I don't know, I just didn't feel right. And somehow, by the miracle of God, I stayed with it, and I started feeling it a little bit. Just a little bit. I thought, okay, and I kind of got used to it because I started feeling it regularly. And I thought, well, okay, so what happens? Or he goes, oh, really? I'm going to let you not feel it for a while. Then, whoa, this is hard. I can't keep anything straight. He goes, okay, good. Just appreciate this. This is real. This is my manifest presence on you. A little bit goes a long way. Let's go top of page three. When he says Christ dwells in our heart, paragraph E, he dwells in our heart. That means a continual, and I don't mean 24-7, unbroken sense of feeling. 
But it means much more than the occasional. Every month or two, you have a little spark of inspiration. So the continual, don't, don't let somebody exaggerate. I've, I've, I've heard people exaggerate this over the years. And when I was a young believer, I believed the exaggeration, and it threw me until, into a tailspin of condemnation. And I found out they were just kind of hyping the story and testimony. Like, I just walk in his presence. All I go, really? And I find out later, not always, like I don't know everybody's life, but it, oh, that was exaggerated. But I bought into that story. Like I would just walk, maybe possibly not through walls, but nearly. <laughs> like that one guy who tells his story. So the dwelling is a continual, in the sense it's a, it's a regular, it's not all day, every day at the highest level, but it's not the occasional every month or two you get a moment of inspiration and tenderness. Paragraph F. This rooted and grounded, that's, that architectural and agricultural terms, meaning stable in the face of the storm. And it's the storm of pressure, the storm of temptation, the storm of despair, the storm of accusation, lies from the devil, Pressure from people, all kinds of storms. There's, you know, many categories. But rooted and grounded, deep roots, the tree doesn't blow over. A ground with a, a building with a solid foundation. When the storm comes, the building stands. That's the idea. How do we know we're rooted and grounded? Well, it's not like Monday you aren't and a month later you are. It's, it's not that kind of linear it's a process. We're moving into it. It's not one day you have it, the next day you don't. It, but it's a quality in our soul that he's describing. And here's what I like to say, the practical application, is that when I feel it truthful about defining my life through the lens of his love, when I really define my life through what he thinks about me and not how much I accomplish you know, when my confession, and I've said this for years, and I've gained ground on it and sometimes lose ground on it, but I am loved by God, and I'm a lover of God. Therefore, I'm successful. Even if somebody's mad at me, even if the position didn't open, I'm still successful in the ultimate sense. I mean, in the secondary sense, that door didn't open, the provision didn't come, the power wasn't there. In that secondary sense, I still wish more of those things would happen. But in the primary sense, the God of Genesis 1 really likes me? I mean, think about that. And by the grace of God, I'm one of the small percent, you know, 10% of the human race, I don't know the real number, that by the grace of God, I like him back. I'm one of the most successful people in the earth. You know, the billion, I don't know the real number, but the 10%, I'll just use that, of people that are responding back, they are the most successful people in the earth from the eternal point of view. They're already successful. No matter how big their ministry or how little their business or how, what happens, they're already in the ultimate sense one of the most successful people on planet earth. You guys are already in the top 10% successful people on the planet right now. For real. But what we're taught, because we're, you know, we're born in a culture and we got a natural thinking and apart from the spark of inspiration in our mind, I'm always successful. It depends on how big, how much money I make, how much academic uh, uh, awards I get, how much ministry, how much, how much, how much. That's how we define success. And that is a secondary definition, but that's not the primary definition of success. So if I'm rooted and grounded in love and I don't stay in this place, I define my value through his lens and I define your value through that lens. And man, that's a liberating spirit. You get a little bit of that. You look at people and they're not doing it all right, but you just go, wow, I just, I celebrate who you are. Yeah, I know you gotta get that straight, but there's a bigger story about you than that. What your failures and deficiencies is not the main narrative that God has about you. It's, it's a liberating way to live. I love to get into that room and stay there. And I don't stay there all the time, but I love that spirit of liberty. Let's look at uh, Roman numeral four. Stage three. 
Now, once I'm rooted and grounded in love a little bit, again, it's not like you do all the stage two. Now, you, you know, you're done with elementary school. Now you go to junior high. It's, it's not like that. But I, I think you already got that. Stage three is I'm able to comprehend how God sees all the saints. Not all in the strictest sense. And I comprehend the love of God when I'm connecting to the saints. Up until now, it's been mostly individual. I'm praying for strength in my heart. I'm getting his manifest presence in my heart. I'm, I'm getting rooted and grounded in love, and I'm seeing my life different. My emotional bandwidth is getting freed up from despair and being preoccupied with rejection and competition and shame and fear. And I'm like, I can look around, and I can now comprehend who you are a little bit. But it's not just I can comprehend the love of God for the saints, that's included. I comprehend the love of God with the saints, meaning part of the revelation of God's love that I, can get, I get can only come from you. Now, it's individualistic type culture. I love this idea, me and the Lord, no more. I'm enough, and the Lord says, no. No, actually, I'm a father of a family. And part of the revelation for you is in his mouth or her mouth or their hands. I'm not giving it all to you until you talk with them. You're kidding. Yeah, I really, really love them, and I want you to love them and them to love you. So I'm going to hold back things from you. You can only get it from them. Really? Well, Lord, I'm an American. We don't do it that way down here. It's me and the Lord and those eight books I read about just me and the Lord. That's it. Lord says, well, read Ephesians 3. It's the whole family, and I'm a father. I'm not just a king of a nation, of the nations. I am a father of a family, and this is a family affair. Like I tell people as we're studying the end times, I said, we can, you know, in our sea bits on Wednesday night, and I go, we can only go so far, these 500 of us that are working on it in small groups, a significant part of the clarity is in the group in Asia and in Brazil and over in Germany and ministries in Kenya. They can't get it all without talking to us, and we can't get it all without talking to them. And I don't mean everyone talks to everyone, but the whole story is given to the body of Christ, and we got to interface to get it. But if I don't have any value, and like I don't care about what they think, the Lord says, well... That's a bad, that's not going to work. Well, I mean, I still love you, but you're going to only go so far with that attitude. There's something that I, can own, that I will only give you. It can only be understood when you love them a little bit and you interact with them and you get the love of God back from them a little bit. Then you begin to see the bigger picture. He doesn't buy this American thing, this rugged individual, me and God and no more. He, he is a, he's a father of a family, and he's very serious about his family. He loves his family. I remember one time when we have two sons, Luke and Paul, and one of them was coming, there, eight, nine, ten years old, and one of them comes and said, Dad, that brother of mine, blah, 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 you know, deal with him. <laughs> okay. I said, here's the problem. I said, that brother of yours, he's my main man. You're talking to the main, he's my main man. He goes, ugh. I, I just accused him to his dad who loves him. I go, but there's good news. You're my main man too. <laughs> I go, neither of you are going to win me against the other. I will only be happy when you see each other. Like, well, could you like beat him a little bit? <laughs> no, no, I don't think so. <laughs> well, tell him to stop it then. <laughs> You know, they're 8 and 10 and 12. And I used to say that to him all the time. He's my main man. They go, I know, I know, but tell him to stop anyway. <laughs> so that guy over there or that ministry or that person next to you, the Lord says, that's my main man. That's my main woman. So go easy on him. <laughs> that's cute, but it's actually real. So verse 18, when we're rooted and grounded, that's verse 17. I'm in paragraph A. We're able to comprehend our ability to see and feel others. 
is dynamically connected to stage one and two. And beloved, that's where the spirit of liberty is. Then we can know, and you know, the know is by experience. The I like to say the word, the affections of Christ. It passes human understanding. When I see how he, and I feel a little bit towards you like he does, I go, this thing is big. This thing is beautiful. This is awesome. This is like really secure. Forever, together, we're together forever as lovers of one another, as people who love the others forever in the family. This is bigger than I thought it was. I can't comprehend it. It's bigger than my mind. Paragraph C. It requires the aid of the Holy Spirit to see this. The unaided mind. A believer, but our mind is not being inspired. We're not talking to the Lord much. And so our, we're not gaining a little bit more of the inspiration. We can't see this without the Holy Spirit escorting us into this truth. It's, it's beyond our ability of our you can have the most brilliant mind in, you know, science and math, but you can't get into this room if the Spirit doesn't open the door and bring you in it. You can be the greatest theologian in the world and have all the academic accolades and this truth bounce off of your heart. And I'm not against people with accolades and I like all those guys, but my point is it's way bigger than human intellect. But the good news is the most simple person can get it too because it's given by the Spirit. But it is the stage three. I'm going to go back to paragraph B. With all the saints. We hear from God in three different ways. Or we receive from God directly. That's the part we like the best. We receive from God by giving to others. I get the love of God revealed to me when I'm talking to you. When I'm serving you and trying to coach you into the love of God. I don't mean just a sermon, but a one-on-one -on -one message. I'm talking to you. I'm praying for you. I discover the love of God. I go, wow. More, I go, I never even thought about that. I'm talking to some guy and talking to him out of his depression and his rejection. I get a spark of insight. I go, well, that's, I would have never known that. Came out of my own mouth. The Lord says, no, I'll give to you the love of God while you're sharing it with him. But it doesn't end there. I'll give to him to you, and you can't go all the way without him. And you don't need every single believer. That's not what I'm saying, but it's bigger than us four and no more. And I don't know what the number is, but it, it's a family affair. Well, I'm not really into church, and I don't really need that. I hear sermon online. I go, yeah, but the sermon online, I appreciate sermon online. I give sermons online. But anyway, I appreciate those guys. I is one of them. Got folks all around, you know, who are listening. And I like that, but that's not enough. I like sparking their understanding, but if they're not talking to that guy in their city and investing in them and receiving from them, they've got a ceiling on them. Well, and I just get teaching online and I just kind of go about my business. Nah, nah, you gotta plug in. You really do. Or there's a ceiling on you. Let's go to paragraph D. Now he talks about, this is real simple. I'm gonna, I mean, there's so much on the internet on this, these four things. I'm just kind of sparking it out there to you. The width, the length, the depth, and height. The width of God's love. It embraces everybody. Every personality, every social status. I mean, the weird personalities according to what you might think is weird and the great ones according to what you might think is great and the opposite ones. Everybody, it's wide. It's long. It will outrun your greatest sin, and it will last forever. It will still be reaching to all the ages to come. It's long. Oh, I've really got off the path. The Lord says, my love can reach you so easy. My love is long, really long. And not just long, I can find you in the out-of-the-way place, and, I, and you will qualify for my love because of who I am, but it also goes on forever. It's deep. Jesus the Most High God descended so deep to become man and then bear the price of our sin. He went so deep for us. And then Paul talked about the depths of God's heart are revealed to us. And it's high. The one that was so high went so low so that us, 
who were so low could now go so high with him. We are exalted. We reign with him forever. We're in his family. We're the bride of Christ. I mean, we're exalted in a way that's inconceivable to our natural minds. Stage four, top of page four, just a sentence. I've already said it. The, the goal is to walk in the fullness. It's the fullness of God for that season of your life. You, this isn't just something you wait till the resurrection, then you walk in fullness. I want to walk in the fullness of what God has for me right now in this year. And I want that, full, that fullness will be more later. But this is something for today. <clears throat> okay, <clears throat> let's go to pay, Roman numeral six. I'm going to skip the rapid fire. I was going to give a review just to read it real fast again to you. I said all this, but I just love it. You know, just boom, boom, boom. Pray to be strengthened with our inner man, that he'll dwell in our heart, that we'll comprehend the body of Christ and we walk in fullness. I slipped it in. Okay. This is fantastic. It's, I mean, so straightforward, but it's fantastic reality. I don't mean my presentation is fantastic, but I mean those four stages. I go, Lord, I love this. I want this. The Lord said, okay, then pray it for you and pray it for them. I don't mean just in mass. Pray it for individuals. Pray it for your family. Pray it for your friends. Pray it for your mother-in-law. Hi, sweetheart. She's right on the front row. <laughs> you know, it's pretty cool when your mother-in-law that's 84 years old is on the front row on a Friday night taking notes on the book of, of Ephesians. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> Yes, I will take that soup after the service. Okay, so, paragraph A. <laughs> she makes me all these little things, you know. <laughs> We're gonna go to the next prayer. This is very, it's, I'm gonna say just real simple. Paul talked about verse 16. Now we're in Ephesians 6. Taking up the shield of faith so we quench the flaming missiles. The arrows of the enemy are coming at us. Paul's in prison writing this. He's in prison in Rome. Right in Ephesians 6, he goes, these arrows are hitting me. They're, they're flaming arrows, and they're like darts. They sting, and the sting is real, but the sting doesn't last forever. The sting, ouch, ooh, ow. It's like a bee sting, but then it goes away. Then another sting, then another sting. He says, put your shield up. Then he moves right into that, verse 18. I just want you to see the context. He goes, you're praying for all the saints. But he goes, Paul's in prison writing this, but pray for me too. I'm going to give you a twofold prayer to pray for me. It's really practical. Pray that utterance would be given to me. Utterance means clarity when I'm making the word known. He goes, I'm in this prison cell. They have no air condition. They have no internet, no Starbucks, no anointed music. Kind of smells terrible in here. And I'm just really tired and I've been beat up and I'm talking to the other prisoners and guards and I kind of get spacey. <laughs> I'm going, uh, I just pray that I have utterance. My human body is weak right now. I'm in prison, and it's a really rough setting. But I have opportunities to talk to prisoners and guards, and there's stories in church history, and some of them are probably folklore, but, and he's doing this. He goes, I need utterance. But this is a prayer for you as well, if you're talking to a friend you're talking to a person of authority, you're giving a message, you're singing a song, you're writing a testimony, you're writing a blog, you want utterance, meaning you want a clear, uh, you want clarity from the Lord on what you're to focus on. He goes, I need it because I'm, I'm just a little bit really minus one in this prison. Things are pretty rough here and I'm, I'm at the stage where my body has really been beat up. He goes, but I need more than that. I need boldness. I want boldness when I talk. I don't want to hesitate. I don't want to uh, sort of, you know, consider this, you know, be open to that. I want to not mean-spirited, but I want to be bold. I want to be clear. I'm going to be bold, and I want to be clear. And he said, verse 20, I'm in chains. I'm in prison. So if I'm too bold, I'm going to get beat up. But I want to be clear and bold. 
but I need your prayers for me to do that. This is a most practical prayer for your own life. I pray this all the time for me. I go, Lord, give me a spirit of boldness. Again, boldness doesn't mean you energize your tone and confront them. Some people think boldness means confront fearless. And I mean, you might be confronting, but boldness just means there's not, it's a supernatural grace of God where we're not under the weight of intimidation. And I don't care who you are, just in our humanity, we're easily under the weight of intimidation. But the boldness, it's not like, oh, that brother's bold. It's not a character trait. It's an anointing of the spirit in, in that moment. And then afterwards, the spirit lifts, and he goes, oh, boy, I'm back to me again, you know? <laughs> boldness comes on you by the Holy Spirit. And again, I'm not talking about a mean spirit. I'm not talking about the tone or the, or, or the volume. I'm talking about the confidence. And then clarity. I mean, Paul says, which points should I make? Lord, only you know who that prisoner is or who that guard is or who that king is. And I don't really know. I need clarity too. I need utterance and boldness. Well, amen and amen. Let's stand before the Lord. Have our worship team come up. I'm going to ask the Lord, to, I'm going to pray this prayer over you, this whole thing. Let's just, you can stay seated or stand, just do, do whatever's comfortable. Father, I'm asking you, you would strengthen them in their inner man. By nature, we feel dull, passive, a little bored. Strengthen. I ask for strength to touch their inner man. Strength to touch their mind and emotions, those sparks, those little incremental inspirational moments, strength on their inner man. And I ask you'd manifest yourself on their heart and their mind. They'd feel and see different. I ask for the manifestation. You would abide in them in that secondary sense. I ask you to do that. They'd be rooted and grounded by you manifesting I pray they would be able to comprehend the love of God in context of the other people. Let them comprehend and receive from other people. Let them receive by giving to other people. Oh, that they would be walking the fullness in 2020 of whatever you have for them in this season, in October 2020, they would walk in the fullness. Give them everything you will give the human spirit in this hour of history for them, that your assignment. And Lord, as they go forth and have one-on-one -on -one conversations or write blogs or songs or they work in the children's ministry, give them clarity, clarity. Those moments of clarity so they can say those words, give them utterance and give them boldness, that confidence so they're not intimidated but they have that calm confidence. And we bless you. Lord, we love you. We love your leadership. Strengthen us with might. Lord, strengthen my grandchildren with might in their inner man. That's what I pray for them. Strengthen them. Our six grandchildren with might in their inner man. Let them feel your presence. Surprise them. Lord, my neighbor, his name is Aaron, lives next door, this young man and his young family. Strengthen him with might by your spirit. Strengthen him with might. Manifest your presence on his heart. Manifest your presence. Let him comprehend the big picture of the body of Christ through your lens. Comprehend your Let that man walk in fullness and his three daughters and his wife. To walk in fullness. Oh, Lord, I ask you, strengthen Carmelo with the spirit of grace. For real. 
This is how we pray for each other, for real. Strengthen us with might on the inside. Might on our heart. The manifest presence day by day. Not yesterday's strength, today's strength. Tomorrow's strength, man anew every day. Sometimes, Lord, give the night watch dreams and visions tomorrow when they go. 